welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, Greg, I really appreciate being able to talk with you here. It's just a beautiful morning. We're sitting on your porch um, right next to Tyrgrove Park, and I'm looking forward to this. Thanks, Will. Me too. I, in preparation for this, I looked at your Facebook page, and it's pretty impressive, your education and career path. I jotted down a few things from there. Um, you're educated in philosophy, theology, English, youth ministry studies, Christian spirituality, um, you're a former director of youth ministry, then young adult ministry, and then lay ministry formation with the Catholic Church. And you're a former director of social justice ministry with Catholic Charities of St. Louis. You're a Missouri Botanical Gardens Visitor Services Associate. And you're a certificate cert- certified health coach. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, that's quite a, a background. Anything else that you would like to say just by way of introduction to kind of say, well, this is who Greg Rohde is? Yeah, the, the common thread that runs through all four of those would be the motto of my life, and I'll keep it brief so you can do your interview as you wish, to love and to serve. That's been my motto since high school, and, and that's the common thread that has run through everything you just mentioned. Okay. And this ain't a strict interview where I just am asking you questions and you have to answer exactly. You know, it can be back and forth, conversational. Okay. But that's really interesting. Do you remember when that became important to you? Was it? always formulate it just like that, to love and to serve? Or did that kind of gain more solidity, solidity as you No, uh, it, it, up? it 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 uh, matured as I did. You know, I can look all the way back to being six years old, and the church was very important to me. Mom and Dad had a great sense of faith. We were very involved with our parish. And even from a little kid, I knew two things. One... Uh, well, maybe not at six, but a little later than that, I realized I had leadership skills. The other thing I realized is I wanted to live a life of service. So however that got planted, I don't know. So the earliest example that I can give you a real concrete story would be when I was in second grade during the summertime, I would go to my parish for daily mass at eight o'clock. Not too many grade school kids do that. Very few adults do that. Mm-hmm. At my parish, you couldn't serve until you were in sixth grade. And one day I was there, and neither of the servers showed up. And the pastor goes with his little come-hither gesture, and I go into the sanctuary. He says, I want you to serve today. And I thought it was a tw- trick question. You know, I'm, I, back then and still now, I'm, I'm a rule follower. And here's the rule. You can't serve till sixth grade. Here's the authority telling me to break the rule. And uh, so I said, I can't serve today. I'm not in sixth grade yet. He goes, I want you to serve today. I can't serve today. I haven't been trained. You know everything that has to be done. 
I can't serve today, the cassocks don't fit. We're going to fix one up for you. And so that day, I served at the altar four years before any of my peers did. And with my contribu- contributing to that later on, uh, by the time I was in sixth grade, I was doing the server training for my classmates. You know, so that would be the earliest story where I can show a seed. Uh, a little later than that would be uh, I absolutely loved going to school. And it's odd for me now as an adult looking back on this, but sometimes I was so eager to be at school that I arrived at the building before the principal. <laughs> and so the principal eventually took advantage of this and because he, he trusted me, said, okay, I'm going to give you my keys. And he would unlock his office, get his coffee, and then send me around to unlock all the doors mm-hmm. in the uh, campus. And, and so that, that life of service was there. Um, a third story I'd offer you would be... Um, when I was still in eighth grade, we had a high school youth group at my parish. Uh, you couldn't really join to your high schooler, but we were late in the, the school year, probably May. And uh, I decided to go because I had all my, all my homework done. I wouldn't have gone if I hadn't finished my homework. So uh, I tell mom and dad I'm going up to the church. and uh, So I got my homework done. I'm going to go up and see if I like it. If I like it, I'll join. And uh, I get there, and there's 43 of us in my eighth grade class because this is a big step, you know, getting into the youth group. All 43 of us were there, and there were about 10 high school students who had been members of it. For whatever reason, they decide to have elections that night. I elbow my best friend Marty. I said, hey, if I run for president, you want to run for vice president? He goes, sure. And by the end of the evening, Marty and I (laughs) were the president and vice president. And it really uh, angered all the older kids. And I came home that night and said, Mom said, well, are you going to join the group? I said, well, yeah, I'm the president now. Um, the priest, who was a moderator of that, uh, talked to me about two or three weeks later, and he asked me to step down. He says, you know, you really haven't even been with the group. It might not be appropriate. And, and as an eighth grader, I asked him, give me three months. And if I'm not doing well in three months, I'll step down. But at least give me three months and see how I do. And looking back now, I thought, what a sense of presence as an eighth grader to have that level of, I don't want to call it arrogance, but, but self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was mixed in with the humility that if I'm not doing well, I will step down. Mm-hmm. So those would be just a couple stories early on of where that got planted. The other place where I would say how it got articulated would be I went to a seminary high school. And I was fortunate there to be marinated in this whole culture of service. We live lives for other people. And it was my sophomore retreat at Palatine Renewal Center where I wrote in my journal, I'm committing my life to a life of love and service. So that's probably the first place where I can say that was articulated that clearly. Mm -hmm. And when I graduated from high school, we had a class creed. And that class creed is something that hangs proudly in, in my bedroom. And it still pretty much sums up what I believe about life. Mm-hmm. So there's some stories for that. So I wonder what comes came first or kind of keeps coming first. Is it just the recognition of that to give, to serve is a better way of doing life, so I'm going to do it? Or is it more of this is just satisfying, I like it, and I'm just doing it, and it's not really thought out so much? Can we rephrase that a little bit, or give me a little example? 
I'm kind of idealistic, so I, so when I just think about things in my head, I realize that it does make sense that love is really better to consider others rather than to be thinking of myself. So from the point of ideals, you know, I know it's better to serve and, and then, you know, I try to move in that direction. So I'm wondering, but, you know, but I don't, you know, but I definitely fall short. I don't, I'm not as loving as I wish I was in different situations. None of us are. Right. That's, that's part of being human. Right. And, and I would, I never impose my beliefs on someone else. Mm-hmm. So just because I believe it doesn't mean you have to. Uh, instead, what I prefer to do is live a life according to the values and the choices that I make. And if other people find that attractive, then they'll ask me about it or they'll just follow my lead. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi is often uh, given the credit for the quote, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's I don't want to impose that on anyone, but that's what is most natural for me. Um, you know, coming out of a, a Christian, a Catholic background, my belief is that we're all created by a loving God, and I am living my fullest life, therefore being happier, when I tap into that source of love on a regular basis. And I ask that source of love to remove from me any um, obstacles that are preventing me from sharing that love as freely with other people. So the image I often use would be a, a pipe. Uh, and if the pipe is clogged with sediment or lime or whatever's in the pipeline, the water can't get through as freely. So one of my regular prayers is whatever that sediment is that I've allowed to be in my life or sometimes I choose to be in my life, you know, I don't, I'm not happy with all my choices. Um, that that somehow, uh, God be a big uh, rotor rooter and just flush that out of my life so the love that I get in touch with is love that can flow out the other way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Any examples that come to mind that you can share of sediment that needed to get flushed out? Oh, plenty of it. And, and the older I get, uh, the more humble I am. Uh, when I'm at my worst, I have perfectionist tendencies. And so what that does is, um, on the good side, uh, gives me great quality control and paying attention to detail. On the negative side, it can go as far as nitpicking or being critical. And there have been times that uh, my perfectionist tendencies have slipped over to expecting other people to live up to my standards. And that took years and is still taking time to, to dig up those roots and to pull those roots out. You know, if you just grab the flower or what's above the soil, it's not good enough. You have to get to the roots. And um, by working through prayer and counseling, those have been tools that have done that for me. Um, the other one for me, that would be my biggest, uh, well, it feels like I'm doing confession in public here, would, would be at my worst. Uh, I live a life of fear. And so sometimes I make choices out of how to protect myself and how to preserve my security. And that goes totally against the gospel values that say, trust God. And so that is one of the current areas where I really need to um, 
be open to God's grace and say, please flesh this out so I'm not making choices out of fear. Because when you make choices out of fear, they don't leave, they don't um, lead you to being your most fulfilled self. So there's, there's two examples there. You mentioned prayer and counseling. What's that look like? You also mentioned tapping in. Is that is what you mean by that? Prayer and counseling, tapping into God. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For me, um, instead of having prayer periods where someone might set aside, here's my hour where I'm going to pray. My life is more of prayer pauses. So that in the midst of my everyday life, woven into it are times that I am aware of the present moment and connect somehow to God. Um, that could be as simple as being in nature and just being in awe of what I'm experiencing in that beauty. It could be uh, when I'm with a friend and they're troubled and I ask God for a word or a phrase and something just comes out out of the blue, and I might just say, okay, this is out of left field, but let me ask you about X. And X is exactly what they need to talk about, even though they hadn't hinted to it. Um, earlier in my life, but I'm not doing it right now, it's been journaling. I think that is a great discipline to journal. And right now I'm in a program uh, called Next Chapter, offered through St. Louis University, and they use a, a format called the Examine, which was developed by Ignatius of Loyola, where you, um, at the end of your day, review it in the light of the gospel and see where you did well, where you fell short, and then uh, make your prayers for the next day. So for me, it's, it's happening all day. You know, there's a... I had one job where uh, when I went to work, I would walk down a 10-foot sidewalk as I'm approaching the front door, and I could see my reflection in that front door. And it was that daily encounter of seeing my reflection in the front door that said, as I enter the building today, may all of my thoughts and words be loving. You know, so it's just those prayer pauses that just are in there, and they just end up being triggered. And that's kind of an internal thing you're, you're praying, is that yeah. right? Yeah, okay. What about the counseling part? The counseling part, um, over the years, when I was younger, I participated in a uh, discipline called spiritual direction, and that was focused primarily or exclusively on the, I don't want to say exclusively because life is integrated and you touch one part, you touch all of it, but it was out of a more uh, specific religious background. I'm not in that currently, but what I am doing currently is meeting with a, a counselor on a regular basis to go through some of the things where I'm trying to... Uh, grow more into maturity, and to be freed from some of the things that chain, that, uh, chain me. Okay. Is counseling something people can do for each other, or is it more of finding someone who's a professional and, and equipped to do that in a professional way? Yeah, it, it depends on the experience, and that's a great question. When I was in youth ministry, one of the resources that I had taught the kids to be what they called peer counselors. And that was a, a fancy phrase, but what it really meant was how to do active listening. You know, how to let the other person talk without interrupting them. How to focus on the emotion. K 
can you can you boil down to the feelings that they're telling you and can you reflect back the content of what they said a lot of people when they're listening to someone their first thing will be to come back with a solution and so this resource and a, a camp that I ran every year for 13 years taught communication skills and so we taught them here's how you listen reflect back the feelings reflect back the content ask open-ended questions because when you ask open-ended questions it's not yes no but it opens the door to something else Hmm. Um, I believe any of us who can have that sense of presence can counsel others just by having a loving heart by having an intention that the conversation be something healing for the other person. Because I believe that presence is the biggest gift we can give each other. You know, that each of us have a a spirit. And when I can be fully in touch with my spirit and make that open and available and transparent to yours, and that is given back to me, that is the ideal. That's the, the trinity, if you want to look at it in theological terms. You know, that's the relationship between the Father and the Son lived out through the Spirit. In terms of a more systematic or more professional counseling, I would encourage people to do that, especially right now as we're going through the, uh, the COVID-19 thing, that people are probably having a lot of mental health issues and they're unable to uh, process it. And sometimes sitting down with a professional who can help you with it is is the best solution. Mm-hmm. So, growing up, you mentioned that your family was a religious family. What else, what else can you tell us about your growing up experience, your home life, and all of that? You know, as an adult, it looks pretty idyllic. You mm-hmm. know, we had uh, six kids. Looking back on it now. Mom and dad raised six kids in a thousand square foot house with one and a half baths mm-hmm. and three bedrooms. Mm-hmm. And I think of that now, and it's like, oh my God, how did they do that? Mm-hmm. Um, it helped that there was a, a large gap. Uh, there's an 18 year gap between my oldest brother and my youngest brother. So by the time Paul got a little older, Chuck and Kathy were out of the house. Um, but we just learned how to do that. We had a huge backyard, and one of the things I remember about my childhood was. Uh, I love to play. And so all the neighborhood kids would come to our backyard because it's one of the biggest ones. And we'd play uh, baseball or 500 or um, hot box or soccer or kick the can or Red Rover, uh, swinging statues, freeze tag. And we just love playing together. Uh, another thing, and funny that you mentioned my, my Facebook profile, just posted this today. One of the things I remember about being a toddler is that I was absolutely captivated by shadows. And so I would play with shadows, I would chase my own shadow, and I've kind of like never outgrown that. You know, I'm still Hmm. fascinated by shadows. Today I just posted something I saw at the Botanical Gardens two years ago today of a shadow on a tree that was spinning and moving, and I'd never seen a shadow spin like that. Well, I figured out where it was coming from pretty quickly, but I still thought, if you don't know where you're at, seeing this shadow on this tree spinning, it's going to be a little confusing. And so the, uh, the Facebook uh, Live solves that mystery for anyone who needs that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other piece was sunbeams, that I love just having a little mirror 
and the sun would come in through the window into the living room, and I would have mom's compact or one of her hair mirrors and just redirect that light somewhere. And it'd be bonus points if I could redirect that light on something shiny, which would then redirect the light to a third place. Mm-hmm. And being a typical big brother, I had a sister a year younger than me, and she was often the target of the uh, light, and it just annoyed her when the light was on it, which made me want to do it even more. So, mm-hmm. What's your community now? Is it um, the people in the neighborhood? Is it the church? Or who are... The- Who's your family now as far as, or is it your siblings and biological family? Who are, who are those people that you're close to and you count your community? That's a great question. Um, for me, I've always been a community builder. And even when I was 18, I explained this to someone that when I look at my style of loving, it often has more breadth than depth. And when I say it lacks depth, that does not mean I can't be authentic and genuine with people. I, I can do that well, but the focus is more on the breadth. One of the things that I've found natural in me is that I'm a very persistent friend. And so I will keep people in my life until they tell me to get out. Um, 10, 15, 20, I've got friends that go back 45 years. And I take the initiative to stay in touch with them. And so a lot of times I'm the one connecting them. So what has happened for me is I get more support from individuals here and there, even if they don't know each other. So it's hard to put that together as a family, as much as having many smaller families. Uh, In terms of Specific communities, I've got a, a, a group of six men that I was closest to in seminary. And uh, for the last 30, 35 years, I've coordinated a dinner once a year for us. And that one time a year, all six of us are together is just golden. You know, these are men with good leadership skills. These are men who are intelligent and articulate. These are men who also live a life of service in however that has uh, been lived out for them. And one of the things that we've chosen to do now with the uh, quarantine time is we're doing Zooms weekly, and that's just really uh, fulfilling. Um, Another example would be a best friend of mine. We lived together uh, three times when I had my apartment over on Botanical across from Tower Grove Park. And uh, he kept going away to Kentucky to do volunteer service. And when he'd come back to St. Louis, I would still have an empty bedroom. So he would just move in. So he we were roommates three times till he got an upgrade and got his wife. Mm-hmm. But uh, he and his wife and their four kids uh, invite me over all the time for Easter, for Christmas, my birthday, their birthdays. And so while there's no biological connection there, um, I certainly consider uh, the Shaper family uh, family. Mm-hmm. You mentioned staying in touch with friends. Is that a systematic thing, or does it just come naturally where you, someone pops into your head and you think, I need to reach out to that person? It, yeah, it's more the second. You okay. know, it's, uh, I'm a person who listens to my gut, and if somebody comes to my mind or on my heart for a reason, I've learned to trust that, mm-hmm. and, and so I'll do that. Um, I guess I could say it would be systematic in the sense of that annual dinner that I was coordinating. 
Right. Or it would be systematic in the Christmas cards that I would send out. I would do a Christmas letter and uh, had a very long list. Well, now that snail mail is a little passe, uh, I don't mail those out, but I'll sometimes email them to people that want to stay in touch. Mm-hmm. And you've been to seminary? Yeah, for a mere nine years. So what was your intention for going to seminary? Were you going to be a clergy of some type? Yeah. my, my uh, When I was six years old, if you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would have probably told you I wanted to be the first American pope. Hmm. That's, as a, a young child in the 60s, if you knew you had leadership skills and you knew you had religious uh, tendencies— there was pretty much one model of how that worked. And, and so priesthood just became naturally what I wanted to do. Looking back as well, it was something that my mom especially encouraged. Um, mm-hmm. And we ended up having a lot of priests in our life. We would have them over for dinner. We'd have them over and they would say mass in our house. Uh, and those men were great role models for me. Uh, talking about staying connected, I still am connected with uh, three or four priests who were uh, extremely important to me in my grade school and high school years as mentors. And now as those men are aging and getting frail, it's very important for me to call them or visit them and stay connected to them because of, of their role in, in my life. You know, you said Mass was important to you even as a child. I'm a Protestant, so we don't have what we call Mass. We have what we call the Lord's Supper. And I think it's different than for you all. For us, it's a memorial thing where we take the bread and the wine, or actually I think it's grape juice, but we're remembering Jesus' death and resurrection. But our our gathering times, our church gatherings, they're not centered on that. They're more centered on, well, there's some singing, and then there's preaching. So I think the the, the main event would be opening up the Bible and, you know, reading and preaching, expounding on it, and so forth. But I think in the Catholic tradition, it's taking the, the bread and the wine is probably the center of the, the thing. So what does the Mass mean to you? Or is it spiritually uh, nourishing and meaningful to you? Or is it more uh, a ritual that you you just do because you know it's helpful to you? Or what's it like for it's, you? It's actually both. Okay. You know, I would say certainly it's it's spiritually meaning to me. That's where I go to get fed. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of ritual, rituals are things we do regularly. Happy birthday. Everybody knows that song. New Year's Eve. And so once you make something a ritual, you don't have to think, am I going to do this today or not? You know, on New Year's Eve, you don't have to think, am I going to, well, when people get older, they go to bed earlier. But, <laughs> but people are very clear that, that it's New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. And so once it becomes ritual, there's not a choice. Do I want to go to church or not on Sunday? That's just what I do. It's who I am. Where it comes in to be spiritually fed is on how 
aware you are of the present moment. Uh, because again, that's another key element for me is that uh, people are living their most fulfilled life when they're not remembering or dwelling in the past and they're not uh, focused on something in the future but being right here, right now and having that real presence to the moment. And that real presence is the same phrase that Catholics use to describe Christ's presence uh, in the bread and the wine, the body and blood. And I don't want to go into transubstantiation here, but just to say, I taught liturgy camp to teenagers for six summers. We had liturgists and youth ministers working together. It was wonderful. And one of the things that, that we taught the kids was that every celebration, every liturgy in the broadest sense, not just mass, even a prayer service, has four elements. We gather, we listen, we respond, and we send. And so the gathering is important because uh, I'm better off when I'm connected to community. And again, I won't impose my beliefs on others, but I have a hard time, from my perspective, understanding how somebody can say, oh, it's just me and God, and not have a communal element. You know, that's just so important to me. And again, I won't put that on someone else, but it's just uh, like a foreign language. We gather, we listen. We listen to the Word of God. Uh, we listen to the songs. We listen to the preaching. Um, we respond with gratitude. Uh, we respond through our prayers. We respond through the um, participating in the Eucharist. And then we send Mass or any prayer style would be empty, hollow, useless if it didn't challenge us to do something because that's precisely what spirituality is meant to do. Um, when I was in social justice ministry, there was a phrase, uh, Mr. Christian went to church. He went there every Sunday. Mr. Christian went to hell for what he did on Monday. You know, so if what we experience together in community doesn't translate into action that's that's uh, lifeless for us but the last piece in this that I'll talk about is um, when I was in college and studied theology I had a bright blue yellow green and red uh, piece of construction paper taped to my wall right by the door so I saw it every time I went in and out and in big handwritten letters I had printed take bless break and share because those are the four elements for us within the Eucharistic prayer. And so for me, taking is taking responsibility for my life. I'm not going to be a passive victim. I'm not going to be someone who just lets life flow by. I'm going to be active and present. I take responsibility. Bless. Have gratitude for. Be aware of the goodness in life. Break. That's the hardest one. That's where you're open to figure out what's inside you that needs to be broken and, and leave you. Uh, breaking is also the, uh, the sacrifices that we make for those we love. And then share is that element of taking what we have and sharing it with others. So take, bless, break, and share have also been four words that have been very important to me and that come straight out of the, the ritual. You've mentioned being present quite a bit. And even, I didn't realize this, but the Eucharist is referred to as the presence mm -hmm. 
I'm not in too many uh, Catholic masses, but I used to be a wedding photographer, so I've been around some. As far as this, you know, I've heard of mindfulness, and is that kind of what you're referring to? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And then a lot of times it's associated with a meditation practice or something like mm-hmm. that. Is it like that for you, or is it more of just as you're going throughout your day trying to be in the present moment? No, it is like that for me, and, and that's a discipline that comes from many different traditions. I would imagine most people might associate it with Buddhism or some of the other Eastern religions that uh, yoga comes out of. Um, within our Christian tradition, I go back to our, our Hebrew scriptures, though, and when God, when Moses sees the burning bush and he asks God for his name, God's simple answer is, I am. It's not I was, it's not I will be, I am right here in the present moment. And in the New Testament, a lot of times where Jesus reveals himself to others, he uses that phrase, I am, and then fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And so it's that am, that being in the present moment that uh, really does come out of our scriptures, but also other traditions as well. And that, that is true. I consider that real presence when I can be authentic and open and transparent and vulnerable. Um, the Velveteen Rabbit has a great story about getting all your fur rubbed off when you're available to people that way. And, and that's, that's what love is. Love is handing your life over to other people in a way that still um, respects and nourishes yourself. You know, there are some people in life who will love others and take care of others, but they don't take care of their own needs. And then they're giving out of an empty well. And sometimes that leads to resentment. Um, so when I say live a life of love, there's that little asterisk there that says while you're also taking care of yourself as well. Hmm. So it's not, well, I know this is the right thing to do and I don't want to do it, so I'm just going to grit my teeth and <laughs> go through with it. It's not that type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's that airplane thing about uh, putting the mask on yourself before you put it on the child. Or if people are familiar with the Enneagram, that would be the classic two. Um, it's known as the helper. I will do whatever I can so I can help you. This is at the unhealthy level. Mm-hmm. I'll do whatever I can so I will help you and you will feel some sense of obligation to me. Mm-hmm. And when you don't respond with that obligation, I'm going to feel resentful. Mm-hmm. That's where the, the edge is, the positive of the two, is that selflessness that they have, that they don't put themselves first. You know, so right there in the middle is I do respond to the needs of others, but not to the point of it um, costing me my fullness of life. And I don't mean that to sound selfish, but we do need to take care of ourselves in order to take care of others. Mm-hmm. And perhaps the taking care of others is nourishing to us. Exactly, yeah. But we, I understand what you mean. We need to... We need to be in a good place in order to be giving. Otherwise, we're rather needy ourselves. And right. You can't pour out of an empty cup. Mm-hmm. You know, that you have to make sure that your well doesn't become brackish. Mm-hmm. You know, it does become brackish when you let resentment or anger or if you're loving out of sense of duty and obligation, mm-hmm. that is the trick. If you're loving out of a sense only of duty and obligation, that has the capacity to be hollow 
and it has the capacity to be false. Mm-hmm. And, and love is when we're living out of our truth and can show our authentic selves to others and not have a mask and not be saying or doing things that are false. Mm-hmm. So it sounded like you got started in Christianity really early. So I was in a religious home, but it didn't. Mean, I had a conversion experience when I was 18, and that's when it really became something to me, important to me. Did you ever have something that really impacted your life as far as the Christian faith and knowing God, and or was it always just a really uh, close, uh, meaningful type of life for you? Yeah, it's been basically close and meaningful. Uh, I don't have a dramatic conversion story, mm-hmm. um, but what I have is a series of smaller conversions every year. Mm-hmm. And the older I get or the more in touch I get with the spirit inside me, the more subtle those conversions become. Mm-hmm. You know, so I talked earlier about the being controlled by fear and perfectionism. I would consider my wrestling with those part of my conversion. Mm-hmm. You know, that a conversion is anything that happens to you that frees you from fear, frees you from selfishness, frees me from fear, frees me from selfishness, and opens me up to a life of generosity and opens me up to uh, being true to myself and being authentic with others. Mm -hmm. What does nourish you so you're not giving from an empty cup? What fills your cup the most? What fills my cup the most is relationships, mm-hmm. you know, that the, the, the people who are in my life are just so precious to me, mm-hmm. and time with them is what fills me. Um, also, on a daily basis, there's four things that I seek, and that fills me up. Beauty, truth, goodness, and wisdom. And I started that in college. Uh, beauty is, for me, basically being found in nature. Uh, I have Tower Grove Park is what I call my front yard. It's 100 yards away for people who aren't familiar with it. It's the largest Victorian park outside of England. And it's just incredible being in the middle of the city and having all these trees. And what I consider is my backyard, the Missouri Botanical Gardens, where I also work part-time, is one of the top three in the world. And so I don't have to go very far to experience beauty. Truth. Truth for me is anything from knowledge. I'm a lifelong learner. So if I learn a new word or if I learn a new aspect or if I learn things about me, that would go under the truth category. Beauty, truth, goodness. Goodness is just the, uh, the goodness coming out of somebody's heart. Me witnessing two people that I don't know and they're um, having some sense of kindness. It could be somebody helping someone into the car or a stranger opening a door for someone else. And then wisdom, and wisdom for me would be applied truth. I don't have the best analogy, but if you, if you thought of the theory of math as uh, truth and the application of math as wisdom, you know, so I, I've got a 100-year-old house. I needed some work done. There were some gentlemen working on my house. I'm betting they didn't have more than the eighth-grade education. I can tell you what the Pythagorean theorem is. I remember that from being 16. These construction workers, when they were working, had the 3-4-5 principle. I said, what's that? 
And they explain, well, whenever you have a triangle, they have to be three, four, and five. And it's the same thing, you know, except they were applying it. I had the truth. They had the wisdom. Mm-hmm. How do you like spending time with friends? You mentioned that's how you're nourished. For example, my son, the way he enjoys spending time with people is like a good soccer game. Mm-hmm. For myself, it's more of just one-on-one for sharing a cup of coffee together and just face-to-face conversation. Other people, other people might like crowds or whatever. Yeah. What about yourself? What's your favorite way? For me, my favorite way is um, generally with a smaller group rather than a large group. Mm-hmm. And being active. So my favorite thing to do with people is to take a walk. I, would, I, I do take walks daily. And walking with a friend is just my favorite thing to do. And if I can't have a friend with me on the walk, I'll sometimes make a phone call and call one of my friends while I'm taking my walk. Hmm. Um, again, having the botanical gardens, walking there with people is my idea of the best time I could spend a half hour. Um, I really enjoy card games. I really enjoy board games. I love things where there's some strategy to figure out and things that challenge my mind. Um, I love wordplay. Again, this isn't something that I developed. It's just how I was born. My brain processes information that way. Even as a six-year-old, I was making puns. And, uh, and so just in the spontaneous conversation with people, if that does open up where I can offer something original and spontaneous, I will. I don't like these where every time I mention the word camera, well, my friend says, well, that lends itself to, it's like, okay, let's come up with something spontaneous <laughs> and original, can we? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's how I often enjoy it. And if, and if I have more time, what I really love to do is to go to the national parks. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to visit more national parks and, uh, and travel more. Mm-hmm. So, Are you a camper? I used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I'd, I'd prefer to have a hot shower and a bed. <laughs> yeah. What's, what books have made a big impact on your life? Or you, I think you mentioned you enjoy reading. Is that right? I do. Okay. I do, although that discipline isn't as present in my life now as it was when I was younger. I'd have to start off with the Bible just because that wisdom in there has made a difference in my life over the decades. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the second one would be one that I taught for 15 years to teenagers when we had communication skills. It was People Skills by Robert Bolton. And it talked about how to be a good listener and how to uh, respond well when you're talking with someone. And it it goes into 15 chapters, so that's a gross um, simplification. And then currently... Uh, Jim Dethmer has the 15 principles of conscious leadership. And again, that's also what's coloring my be in the present moment uh, because he talks about people either having a focus where life is happening to me, where I'm a passive victim. I'm living in a world of shame and blame and guilt and fear. Or he can be in what he calls being above the line. And being above the line is... Um, being in a place of hope, of generosity, of community building, of curiosity, of abundance. And so his thought is if you can be aware at any time, if you're above or below the line, that's the most important thing. And humans 
have been wired through evolution to be below the line. We would perceive a threat and we would act accordingly. So it's not uh, most important thing is know where you are on the line and then see what you can do to change that to be more above the line. And the basic thing that he has is uh, taking 100% responsibility for my life. So I'm trying to even change my language so I don't say, well, I didn't have time to do that. Instead, I chose to do other things today. Hmm. You know, or instead of I can't afford that, I'm choosing to spend my money elsewhere. You know, so I'm trying to eliminate I can't with I'm choosing other things. And it's interesting how it just uh, reshapes my world. I, I, I work as a health coach. Mm-hmm. And when I'm having those initial conversations, sometimes I get people who just out of habit, oh, I can't afford that. And the question I have is, what are you choosing over that? Mm-hmm. You know, I had someone says, oh, I can't afford that. And yet they've got season tickets to the blues. I can't afford that. And yet they just you know, did a uh, 10-day cruise somewhere. You know, it's... Money shows where our values are. If you want to know what's important to a person, look at their bank account and their checks and look at their calendar. And that'll show you what's truly important to someone. Mm -hmm. (sighs) What's your daily practices or routines or do are you a routine type of person where you have certain things you do, you know, in an order? Or is it more like just waking up and kind of seeing where the day goes? Funny you mention that. Um, the last 41, 42 days, I've been in the quarantine. For those who are unaware or listening later on, this is when we've got the COVID-19 shelter at home time. And I've, I've been pretty rigorous with that. Uh, I haven't left my house except go to Schnucks or... Walgreens, and I haven't been more than a mile from my house. Uh, actually, having Will here is a treat because one of the things that I miss most right now is um, eye contact. Mm-hmm. You know, when you live alone and don't see another person all day, that's, that's something I hunger for. What it's taught me, though, is that right now I don't have enough structure or discipline in my life. And so I'm reaping the negative fruits of those choices. So right now I'm at a point where I am trying to put a little more structure and order in just because I know that once I do have more structure and order, I'm less inclined to procrastinate. I'm less inclined to walk around the house aimlessly. You know, if I know that at 10 o'clock every day I'm doing my workout, whatever that is. You know, if I know that at uh, 2 o'clock every day I'm doing my health coaching, having that set becomes that ritual that I talked earlier about with, with church. So I'm currently at a point with needing to uh, put a little more structure in my life. What's your first thing in the morning type of routine or right before you go to bed if you're more of an evening person? Um, I am more of an evening person. My... Uh, one of the things I love about health coaching is to say you can uh, organize your life around what matters most. And one of the things that I liked least when I had a more traditional nine to five job was early morning meetings. And so I, I love the fact that I never have to be at work before 9 a.m. And that's because I'm setting the schedule. Uh, working at the Botanical Gardens is a little different if I have to be there early, but uh, that's one of the reasons why I love my coaching so much is uh, the flexible schedule that it allows me. So for me, I wake up slowly, you know, wake up, stretch, 
get breakfast, check up on the news, shower. Mm-hmm. You know, that could be an hour right there. Mm-hmm. Um, even like with today, we set this appointment for 11 because there's times where I just want to have a slow morning and have it to myself. Uh, at the end of the day, it's uh, ideally working with that examine and reflecting on the day and uh, seeing what went well, what didn't work well. And the, the thing I do every night before I go to bed is I call the woman that I'm dating. We're doing FaceTime and uh, we have night prayer. Um, we've been dating for a few years now and uh, I was the one who initiated that when we were on the phone uh, late at night. I said, do you mind if we end the, the, the day with prayer? And a lot of women probably wouldn't respond as positively as Kathy did. And it wasn't a stretch for me because I knew faith and spirituality were very important to her. So she loved the idea. And every night since then, we've, we've always ended the day with night prayer. Mm-hmm. What gives you confidence if there's in the Christian faith? I think for a lot of people, it's not something they think about. It's just intuitive. It, something in their gut just tells them they're on to truth when they're practicing the Christian faith or they're reading the Bible. Or is it like that for you? Or is it something that you've really wrestled with and have come to this or that? And this is what gives me confidence that this isn't some man-made religion, but it's grounded in real, something that's real. Do you believe in electricity? Yeah. Have you ever seen it? No. I felt it before. (laughs) (laughs) When I was a sophomore in high school, Father Jim Teltorst um, offered that to us. Mm -hmm. And that's that's struck with me. You know, so, you know, if you want to go academic, Aquinas has his five proofs of God and all that, but I don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. It's, um, for me, it's just a belief deep down in my soul that this is right. Mm -hmm. And, And you mentioned truth before, and what I do is, you judge a tree by its fruit. Mm-hmm. And if the way that a person is living their life is bearing fruit and being life-giving to themselves and others, I think they're on to the right thing. Mm-hmm. If another person is a tree and their fruit is bitter or their fruit is hoarded for themselves and doesn't enjoy, uh, better anyone else's life, that's another sign. So mm-hmm. I, would, I would go to that judge a tree by its fruit. Hmm. Jesus said, Wisdom is known by her children, I think, or something along those lines, which may be kind of the same thing. I think he was talking about John the Baptist and how people weren't happy with him saying, I forget what, but then saying of himself, Jesus, you know, when that he was a, a drunkard and so forth, but and he gives a couple other responses, but then he says but wisdom is known by her children or something along those lines. Yeah, that basically was John was living a very astute life, right. camel hair out in the desert, eating grasshoppers, and Jesus was more active, going to parties, going to events. And you can't please anybody sometimes. And there were people complaining about each right. end of the spectrum. Right. And then he says something like that, doesn't he? Wisdom is known by... I guess it depends on your translation, just how that's worded. Yeah, it's, yeah, it would be. Yeah. Um, I often go back to, though, um, the story of the goat and the sheep, you know, that when Jesus himself is asked, what's the end of the world going to look like? Mm-hmm. He says, did you feed people when they're hungry? 
Did you give people water when they were thirsty? Did you shelter the homeless? And it's those concrete actions, what in my tradition would be called corporal acts of mercy, where love is put into action. Mm-hmm. And that's what gives me the, the greatest ease in not imposing my beliefs on others. If someone else has a different belief, but they're feeding the hungry, they're clothing the naked, you know, they're giving water to those who need it, I'm confident we'll be uh, reunited in heaven forever. You know, it's not that my way or the highway. It's like God is a, a vast source. And if, and if you can tap into that love in a truthful way, um, it'll work to everyone's advantage. Mm-hmm. Well, Greg, is there anything else um, that you want to bring up or we should talk about before we wrap it up for right now? I don't think so. One of the things I did just in thinking about this was I actually had four pieces of artwork. Mm-hmm. And I know that this is not uh, ideal for podcasting, but I think that I've mentioned each of them. I had my class creed, which I talked about before, and you heard some of that. I had one that talked about uh, the Eucharist in terms of giving your life away and being needed. And with my love for puns, that uh, needing with bread is mentioned in that poem. I had a quote uh, about uh, God being I am, not in the past, not in the future. Oh, and the last one, St. Teresa of Avila. The Lord does not look so much at the magnitude of anything we do as at the love with which we do it. Hmm. You know, so that for people who might think less of themselves because they haven't done great, magnificent, incredible things, my challenge would be, whatever you did, did you do it with a loving heart? Mm-hmm. And that's what, um, that's what really counts. Is there anything you want to end with as far as about yourself? You're a health coach. I can put a link in the show notes. Is there anything you just want to say about how people can get a hold of you if they want to talk with you further about any of this stuff? Yeah. Uh, my Facebook page, you have to know how to spell my last name, though. It used to be people couldn't find me in the phone book, and now that we don't have phone books, people can't send me an email. Uh, but it's R-O-H-D-E. My first name's Greg. And uh, I've got a, a lot of public posts there. Um, in terms of the coaching, I never take a client on until I find out, first of all, what is it that they want? You know, my mom taught me that we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You know, and then I believe it's more important to listen to someone before ever speaking. So I don't work with a client till I know what their motivation is, what their why is. Because if they can't come up with a compelling why, no program is going to help them. And I don't want to take someone on that I can't help. Um, the other piece, and this is coming out of my own religious background, I don't impose any of this on my clients. But if they have a background in mind, I pull that in. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full is exactly what my health coaching is all about. My coaching is a holistic perspective. And we talk about, do you have a healthy body? Do you have a healthy mind? And do you even have healthy finances? Because those three all connect to each other. And when one of them suffers, the others suffer as well. And so I love the fact that it's that holistic perspective. It's, it's living a lifestyle that will allow you to live your best life. It's not a diet. 
So if people think, oh, Greg's that diet coach, that's not it. It's, it's a healthy lifestyle. And I love being a coach for many reasons, one of which is that part of my job description is to always become a better version of myself. And I get paid for that. You know, so I, I, I get to work with incredible coaches as teammates. I have work that is fulfilling. I make a concrete difference in people's life. I have a schedule that's flexible. I work when I want. Um, it gives me a sense of, of meaning and purpose, and it even pays the bills. Hmm. You know, so for me, that was an ideal thing to land in uh, once I left full-time church work mm-hmm. and uh, am no longer doing nine-to-five traditional work. But uh, but two part-time jobs that are both good fits for me, uh, beauty and hope. Hope being the health coaching that I do and beauty being the tours that I give at the Missouri Botanical Garden. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks, Greg. It's been really good. All right. Thanks. This has been fun. If you use a podcast app like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life. Mm-hmm.